We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how we doing? Nick, I want Iguodala. All right, Max, calm down over there. Uh, you know, we got you know some news on Iguodala. We got some other updates on Spencer Dinwiddie. We're going to discuss that and plenty more. As always, you can find the buzz on all streaming platforms. Jack, where do we start? We start with Andre Iguodala, former Golden State Warrior and teammate of Kevin Durant, Nick. And Sham Sarania was reporting that there are three teams uh, linked to the veteran, with the Brooklyn Nets being one of them. Now, I guess what, what we can discuss, I guess, thoughts of, of his fit, thoughts of just the general, you know, do you want him? You know, uh, do you want him to actually just get him away from another good team? Now, obviously, the Nets being linked to, to Iggy, we, we've spoken about him in our free agency previews as well. Um, how do you think he's, do you think he has much juice left in the tank? Um, give me your thoughts on, on Andre Nick. Yeah, I actually DM'd you, I think, last, late last night when we were talking about some things. And I said, you know, give me Iguodala, maybe Millsap, depending on what happens with the rest of the roster. So I think I do want him. And, you know, there's a lot of different reasons why. One, like you said, keep him away from the Lakers. I think he'd be a quality player for them, a good defender, which could help them in a matchup with the Nets. Same thing for the Warriors. But that's not the biggest reason. I think he feels a need for the Nets to an extent. You know, he's a high basketball IQ guy, solid defender, can play the three and the four, has experience in big games, has played with Kevin Durant and other superstars. And I also think he can kind of fill some of that locker room presence that Jeff Green is, you know, brought to the team and now is going to be missed. So, and I also think it would probably be the best spot for him because the Nets would depend on Iguodala the least, where if he went to the Warriors or went to the Lakers, they're going to ask more of him. So I think he could be a better version of himself in Brooklyn because he'd probably be playing spot minutes during the regular season and maybe have to step up in the postseason. So I don't think they'd be very dependent on a 38-year-old player or that's what he's about to be going to the season. So I think Iguodala would be a great fit for the Nets just because they don't need to play him a ton, but he could bring some of the intangible stuff that I think this team needs and championship teams need. Yeah, I mean, he's he, he was spotty in Miami, I guess, yep. to, to say the least. He, he got his money, so what's the priority for him? Because Golden State, obviously, you know, he has a long and strong ties to that franchise. They also still have their taxpayer MLE, whereas the Nets are giving that to Patty Mills. I'm glad we're giving it to Patty Mills because I think Patty Mills is a much better player than Andre Iguodala at this point in time. But at the same time, you know, a, a vet minimum. And it's funny because the, the same teams are also linked 
to, to Mills at the same as, as yeah. well. So it's going to be a, a battle again for a guy who is probably going to have at least some impact, probably in the postseason more so. You know, you, you put out you know some good sort of points about you know Andre Iguodala's game, what he can provide. I think you know his locker room presence, his intelligence, you know his history of winning. He's a Finals MVP. Um, he yep. just seems to hit big shots at the right time. He's a really good passer. I think he'll fit in offensively quite well. You know, obviously the defense is one's is the, the the part of the the floor that generally goes by first. So I wonder what he does still have left in the tank there. They don't necessarily need a guy that's six six. They probably need a guy who's probably got a couple more inches. As yep. it does, but at the same time, you just want to add quality. And for vet minimum guys, you just add guys that you think can give you something and take a flyer on them, and maybe they can win you a series. You know, not all of them are going to be Jeff Green 2020, 2021. Um, you know, it's James Johnson, Andre Iguodala. Those guys are your vets. It's not too bad. And you maybe add something with the taxpayer, show the trader player exemption, which we'll have a chat out a bit later. But Nick, in terms of the likelihood of Andre Iguodala, what would you rank if you were trying to, to, I guess, have some sense of objectivity? Yeah, I think the Warriors have an edge. Obviously, I think this guy's in love with Steph Curry. <laughs> I've never seen somebody talk about a former teammate like Iguodala's talked about Steph. Just, you know, really hyping him up, not only as a player, but also as a off the court, you know, and what he does and what type of person he is. But also, Iguodala loves Kevin Durant, has really hyped him up as well in terms of, you know, I think he even compared him like Michael Jordan at one point. You got that from my Twitter page, Nick. That's what I yeah. put out here a couple of weeks ago, if not a week ago, something like that. So there you go, Jack dropping the knowledge right there. And then I think the Lakers would probably be last because I think Iguodala is smart. Like, he is an intelligent basketball player, and I think he understands that the Nets are more talented, and he would complement those players better. Obviously, Golden State number one just because of the relationships, but I think if you're just looking at, like, what team is the best fit for Iguodala, I think it would probably be the Nets because he'd be asked to do the least. And also, like you kind of mentioned, the playmaking is there. Like, he could easily fit into some lineups and not have to be dependent on because you have James Harden, you have Kyrie Irving, you have Kevin Durant, you have Joe Harris, you have Patty Mills, you have all this spacing and shooting on the floor. Yeah, even possibly Cam Thomas. But um, I think it would be Warriors 1, Nets 2, and uh, Lakers 3rd. I would say the same thing. I, I think just the, the the immediate, you know, affinity that he has for the Golden State Warriors, you know, Steve Kerr, he knows that system inside and out. You know, he yep. was a, a massive part of their, their success, their championships. Um, he has obviously not just ties to, to the coaching staff, that the players and Bob Myers. So I would be a part of me would be surprised if he doesn't go to Golden State. And the fact that they do you can think offer him, the way that he left will have any negative like bad blood on him, like a little saltiness. They dumped him to Memphis. No, I don't. I don't think so at all. Um, maybe, uh, maybe Andre Iguodala is is that sort of guy. But I it think, seems a little petty to be honest. <laughs> I mean, all NBA players have a sense yeah. of. Pity. I mean, we had LeBron James deleting tweets about you know talking. Uh, look, when when I like his podcast, we'll save that for somewhere else on the Blue Wire and um, the the guys at Pacific Post up on the OTG network. But in in all honesty, Nick, that it could possibly. But I, I think also Andre Iguodala over his time, has generally prioritized getting the bag and then who can give him the most. You know, obviously Miami gave him $15 million uh, per season. You know, he, he he went to Golden State and he got a nice little payday there as well. You know, he uses other teams as leverage. He's a really, really smart negotiator and, and as is his agency. 
So the fact that they have, I guess, Golden State and, and the Nets are in the same boat. It inflated luxury tax bills, to say the least. Uh, but Golden State were even in, in a worse kettle of fish yep. in terms of that. But if they were to add Andre Iguodala, you know, it, it might even elevate them further to being a contender in the West. It's obviously not going to put you over the line. But I, I've always sort of said this, and I think I discussed this with like, you know, Blake Griffin, LaMarcus Aldridge, these sort of guys. When you get a, a, a player, it's also not about what he does for your team, but about the fact that he's not doing it for another team. And yep. three teams that are in the, the running for his services are three teams that you would probably expect to be uh, uh, vying for a championship. Maybe the, the Warriors have a bit more question marks, but you got Stephen Curry, Clay coming back and, and the rest, but the Nets and Lakers are a prime A, prime B as candidates for Larry O'Bee next year. So uh, I think that that shouldn't be underestimated as well. And, and I think that's why a lot of people were so you know dismayed about the, the, the Nets getting Paddy Mills. It's because that they got him for you know such a, a bargain basement price. Yep. And the fact that he's not going to the Lakers and he's not going to Golden State um, is just a, a massive tick for Sean Marks and the Nets organization. Agree, Jack. And I think you look at it that way. I think also the Warriors probably need him the most. They need to fill out their team a little bit more and having, you know, competent NBA players where even the Lakers, what they've done with the minimums, they have a lot of guys on the team. So I'm really intrigued to see what he does. Like, and also there is a question of how washed is he? Because at different points in Miami, he didn't look amazing, but also he was in a situation where the offense was terrible and he's not necessarily a plus offensively in terms of scoring right now. So that's why I think in Brooklyn, he could look a little bit better when, okay, maybe he's got to shoot a couple threes. His percentage was like, okay, last season in terms of Andre Guadalla numbers. So it's like, whatever. And he turns it up a little bit in the postseason. He does. I, he does. I would like it. So. Yeah, look, it's adding any semblance of depth is is a positive thing. And the Nets, while they still are, are sneaky deep, and Sean Marks has always done a really good job of that, um, one way that the Nets can add some more depth, Nick, is using that trade of player exception that they got in the sign and trade for Spencer Dinwiddie. Now, the five-teamer, it ended up being a five-team trade. Washington get Kuzma, KCP, Montrez, Dinwiddie, Aaron Holiday, and the right to Isaiah Todd. The Lakers get Russell Westbrook. The Brooklyn Nets get a 2024 second, a 2025 second swap with either Golden State or Washington if theirs is better. They get a half of uh, Spencer Dinwiddie's deal in terms of a trade exception, which is $11.5 million. Indiana got the rights to Isaiah Jackson. San Antonio Spurs got a second from Washington as well as Chandler Hutchison. Now, the... The immediate reaction, Nick, what was your immediate reaction? I think that you're always generally a lot more measured than I am, but I was up at like 5 a.m. ready to go to the bathroom. And then <laughs> I hear that like, you know, it's going to be like a, a 5, 18 deal. Sean Marks is asking for Denny Abdia and all these different things. And I'm like, damn, I can't go to bed now. I'm just like, keep refreshing Twitter, keep refreshing Twitter. Uh, yeah. And then by about 6.30, it ends up being what it is. And it's just like, all right, I'm going back to bed. This is BS. Uh, but... What was your reaction immediately upon hearing this? And I guess the, the whole you know, kerfuffle that happened uh, before the deal was made. Yeah, I'll be honest. I was slightly disappointed. I think also because we just had that report, like you said, you know, Sean Marks using his leverage, asking for a first round pick, asking for Denny. Um, and then, you know, you just get the two seconds in the trade exception. So, I mean, like you looking at it in big picture after I like stepped back for a second, I was like, this is really common. Like, this is what usually you get in a sign-and-trade situation. Obviously, the Nets probably had a little bit more leverage, but also I think the Nets wanted to do right by Spencer Dinwiddie. You know, they wanted to get him in a situation where he wanted to be because if this deal did fall through, 
there wouldn't be money on the market for Spencer to cash out. He would have been forced to sign a lesser deal or something like that. And I think to Sean Marks is important to treat players the right way. And that's how the Nets have really gotten into this situation. You know what I mean? They've given guys extra money in different parts, you know, be it a, a two-way contract, be it, you know, a G League thing. And that's how they ended up with KD and Kyrie. They really helped their rep and their culture. So I think that was important. And at the end of the day, we got reports from Christian Winfield. We had reports from Brian Lewis. Um, you know, they're kind of conflicting in a way, but it just seemed like the Nets weren't super interested in Kuzma, KCP, and Montrez Harrell. Like, it just felt like Sean Marks didn't think those guys could contribute to this team in the way that he wanted to have a player that was added to this roster. So that's the, my mindset in the way, because it looks like Washington was willing to offer those guys, but the Nets weren't super intrigued by the return. Do you think, though, Nick, that the Nets, that Sean Marks wasn't intrigued in that or Josiah wasn't willing to pay for that? Because KCP would be an immense fit on this basketball team, would be a starter. I, I, you could make an argument that he should be starting over Joe Harris. And I, yeah. I think he would close games. I think he would, I, I was so high on KCP, but then people were giving me sort of reports about, you know, the fact that, you know, him and Bradley Beal have strong ties. Their, their partners uh, are both really, really close. And the fact that, so you know, that makes me think that it probably wasn't on the table. We don't know for sure. Obviously, uh, Christian reported that, but that doesn't necessarily mean KCP was available. Or maybe if KCP was part of the trade, they asked it for something in return. You know what I mean? Maybe they're like, okay, well, we send you KCP. You got to send us a pick or something along those lines. And also, I think contract-wise, it probably would just match up just about right. Yeah, look, uh, uh, we obviously don't know the the inner workings. You know, we get reports, we get leakings, we get all these different things here and there. You know, part of me probably would have preferred Kuz as well. You know, I, I think yeah. that just having another wing on the roster rather than just relying on James Johnson and Kevin Durant would have provided some help. You know, Montrose Harrell, I've made my thoughts known about him plenty. We don't need a guy like him when we've got, you know, some cool young guys as well as yep. Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan. Um, obviously, he's what he is. And we can I get think some... DeAndre, I'd rather have DeAndre over Montrose Harrell probably. There's a part of me that probably would as well, Nick. But um, I think that I was frustrated in saying that, Nick. A part of me does think that it could be because, you know, we've seen, I guess, this behavior or, or, or a pattern of this before because it happened with the Garrett Temple and the offloading of him. Now, we don't know. Again, there, these we, we can only infer. And yep. the inference that I got from that is that, you know, Joe Sy didn't want to pay for it, whereas he's willing to pay for other things. So it's sort of just like it's hard to, to marriage things up and go, okay, what is real here? What What is actually the truth? It's something that we, we can't necessarily think about. But the frustration levels because were relatively high in the moment, Nick, because, I mean, a part of it was just like, man, can the Nets get like Cam Reddish in this like eight-team deal or something yeah. or Capella uh, and all these different things happening left, right, and center? Is the fact that Reddish isn't playing in Summer League, is that a good thing for the Nets? And it ends up being just like a second. And you know, I think everyone was pretty deflated and, and frustrated in those moments. And I think having some time to reflect, you know, if we see the Nets and Josiah use the $11.5 million player exemption and at the trade player exception and we'll get to some names that could be available then i'll be like okay i'm fine with this all that's technically part of what is the trade package in return because yep. it's at 11.5 million dollars now uh, a part of me uh, the comparison was like you know i think that's daily came out and said well gordon um 
going Howard went to a Charlotte and 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 Boston didn't get anything return. Well, yeah, but but Gordon Howard's market was incredibly extensive, and if this deal didn't happen, like you alluded to earlier, Nick, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie wouldn't have gotten paid. You know, yep. the, the market was starting to dry up, and Washington was essentially like one of his only you know destinations they could have gone to. So I think that. I'm frustrated, <laughs> I think, it, but you, you take some time to to step back from it and go, okay, now we have still a few of these assets here and there to continue making the team better. It's frustrating that we can't, you know, we have it already. Um, but I think like, like a lot of contending teams, the roster isn't at its completion until the end of the trade deadline, until the end of the buyout market, yep. where the Nets can continue to add depth, add quality. Uh, but it doesn't mean, uh, you know, I, I don't like it when people say, oh, you shouldn't be frustrated. Trust in Marks. Trust in Sean. And it's just like, people are allowed to feel however they want to feel. You can have pain. your own opinion on anything. I mean, I think people you are can. entitled to their opinion. And that's what I think. Like, I'm never going to tell anybody that, no, you're not allowed to have that opinion. Because, like, you could definitely say the Nets probably could have gotten something. Like, part of me believes that they could have received a player. My mindset and my understanding it's, of it. Just, get a player. They got the international sass Nikola uh, Milotinov. Milotinov. I hope I'm saying that right. I'm probably well, You can't say it right. I'm not even trying. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's a stash uh, player and the third highest player in, in Europe's league, apparently. And the third highest player in Europe. So 26 years old as well, seven footer. You know, maybe where it's, it's not like the Nets need more bigs, but I, I do agree. And, and I apologize for interrupting. I just want no, to. No, you're good, Jack. My mindset was just like, this is just me. Maybe I'm drinking a little bit of the Kool-Aid. Uh, maybe Josiah is willing to spend the money, but he's not willing to spend the money in a situation where he doesn't think the player is the perfect fit. Like maybe Sean Marks is like, you know, How what, is this KCP is not a perfect fit. No, though. but I'm just, I don't, I'm not sure if KCP was really on the table. Like, especially based off of what you said and saying that he's close to Bradley Beal. Like it just would seem like they're doing everything to make Bradley Beal happy. Why would they trade a player that he really likes? when they don't necessarily have to. You know what I mean? They have to have some type of leverage in the situation. They need Bradley Beal to stay there or they're not going to be a competent franchise. So I think KCP, I'm not sure if he was ever really in the mix. And maybe, you know, Sean Marks believes in Joe Harris. I'm not really sure. Obviously, there is a little ego to guys like that. But I think more so is like they're looking at the trade exception and maybe we want to have the flexibility going into the deadline. If we do lose a player, somebody doesn't play to expectation, or maybe somebody becomes available that we like better for the situation, let's keep the trade exception for that because it doesn't seem like they liked what they were getting back. And Unless it's like you said, Josiah just doesn't want to spend the money. But everything kind of points to him willing to spend the money because if he was really like not willing to spend the money, I would think they'd kind of hold off on the taxpayer mid-level exception type thing and just go with the vet minimum guy. So like, it's hard to say he's spending a lot of money in luxury tax. And obviously I'm going to always want the owner to spend more, but it just seems like maybe Sean Mark just was looking for more flexibility in the situation. That's why the six to eight team trade thing that came to my mind is like, okay, this guy is really searching every single Avenue alley closet in the NBA to see what he can kind of get back. I was at one point when they said, okay, he was involved. I was convinced Derek favors was going to be the guy that ended up in Brooklyn. Didn't be, it wasn't the case could still happen later on, but Overall, the the trade's just kind of a meh. It's good for Spencer Dinwiddie to get to a spot. Obviously, the return wasn't amazing, but we'll see what the Nets do with the 11.5. If they don't do anything with it, then, yeah, I'll be disappointed. Yeah, definitely. And, look, if Joe Sy's got the money to buy goddamn floors on shitty skyscrapers and he's got money to you know make this team even better and a bona fide championship contender, which they are, yeah. but you, know, you always want to make it better. And I, I saw... 
a pretty nice tweet from uh, Wozni Lambray of The Ringer, and he was sort of saying, because I think someone was arguing about him, you know, small markets and what he said on one of his podcasts, the one thing that owners can do to impact the winning of the team and the construction of a team and everything is spend. You have yeah. the money, you spend it. That is your tool to make the team better. Sean Marks as a GM has his intelligence, his tires and everything there. Steve Nash is the coach. The players obviously are doing the the, 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 bare, the brunt of the, the work and such. But the owner has the money. That is yep. the tool to make your team better. You know, Dan Gilbert, you know, Joe Lacob, these teams have gone into luxury tax to win championships. The Nets are in that. The Nets were in that last year as well. I'm not I'm not discrediting that, but Everything you can do to make this team better is put your money on the line. And he's done that for the most part. I still yep. am going to hold the Garrett Temple thing against him a little bit. Not that Garrett Temple is making the Nets win the championship last year, but who knows? But I just think that we need to hold holding billionaires accountable, Nick, isn't the worst thing in the world. Like we shouldn't just go, well, he's already paying this. Why would he want to pay? Like it's his money. It's just like my dude, if you if I had a basketball team and I was a billionaire, I'd be I'd be playing luxury tax every goddamn season, even if it was for a goddamn fourth seat, because it's just weird to me. And look, I'm not telling our billionaires to spend their money, but a part of me is because it's like I'm able to manage, you know, my teacher salary and the, the little bit of cash we get from doing some fun pods every now and then. If you have cash rolling out the wazoo and you're one of the top five, if not top three or four richest owners in the league then put your money where your mouth is, make this team better, make Kevin Durant happy, allow, and, and, and I think it also does. And the it, return of investment is there. It, it is, Nick, because if you have th the three best superstars, you want to maximize value of the franchise right now. If you were to sell the Brooklyn Nets right now, you know, you have three superstars and obviously pre-extension. So if yep. I think it's also a part of that, Nick. It's appeasing to you know, our three superstars. We want them to... to to sign long term and ma and making them sign long term is has to be goal number one and the chances of doing that are only increased by making this roster better. Um, it was cool to see you know Kevin Durant um, in 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 the presses sort of talk about how he's excited to uh, work with the rookies. You know I know we were a little bit frustrated you know, when we didn't hear that, but he was asked a question and he answered that, which is which was pretty cool. And um, we'll get to a little bit to some summer league stuff, but. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Nick, in terms of the $11.5 million, $11.4, whatever it is. What Jack, na- just one more thing before we talk about that. Sure. I also think, like, if people are upset and it's a money thing, like, don't be mad at Sean Marks. He has literally nothing to do with it. If Joe Side doesn't want to spend the money, that's literally not connected to Sean Marks. He can't tell his boss how to spend his money. Like, he's not going to do that. So I think if you are upset and it's a money thing, it's a Joe Side thing. It's not a Sean Marks thing. I personally think it's probably mo- if if anything in this trade, I would lean more to Joe side because we heard, you know, the uh, like Sean Marks has always done yeah. everything he can to make the Brooklyn Nets better from 2016-17 to 2021-22. Like the fact that he's asking for first rounders, that he's asking for Rui Hachimura, yep. Denny Avdia, you know, the fact that there were reports and leaks of, you know, 18 trades, the creativity and desire that Sean Marks has to make the team better. Look, I'm, I think it's at an incredibly high level. And there are a few GMs who do what he does um, to impact the team and, and the winning nature of it. But, you know, that it is always a, a, the relations between the GM and the owner and, and everything else going there. But, I guess and the, one more thing before the 11.5 sure, thing, Jack. Sure. Do you think we should talk a little bit about the DeAndre reports? Obviously, we got in the report from Christian Winfield that Nets were unwilling to send DeAndre out. And then we had a conflicting report where Brian Lewis had mentioned, I think, that the Nets had looked at sending DeAndre out. And then I think Nets Daily had reported earlier in the season the Nets were trying to move DeAndre with two first-round picks or something along those lines. So we kind of talked about it. Do you think it was just kind of – all right, let me try to get back in DeAndre's good graces by putting this report out there and feeding it to the reporter because that's what teams do. It's spin, Nick. Uh, I think ultimately another way that GMs can impact a team and impact the players and such is, you know, the reporting that they put out there and and to the sources that they have. You know, Brian Lewis, Christian Winfield, a lot of these are are, are fantastic reporters and they have a great beat. And what they put out there is is certainly worth worth looking at and, and who's saying these sort of things and what is being said. You know, this is, you know, you, you can tell that, guaranteed that Sean Marks did everything he could because how many goddamn reports were there on, on draft night about the Nets attaching, you know, a pick and people in the know that were in, you know, not just the, the Nets media, but in the national media about, you know, how the, uh, are they going to offload DeAndre? Are they going to do it for another pick? Are they going to attach a pick, and et cetera, et cetera. And now we're hearing, you know, it was never happening in the first place. I think that's smart. Look, honestly, because DeAndre Jordan is a big locker room presence. You know, the, yep. the leadership and the, the chemistry that he does provide. You know, obviously his ties to, you know, the DeAndre tax that, you know, Kyrie Irving and, and Kevin Durant were willing to take shouldn't be underestimated. And if that's the price you have to pay uh, to get the two of the best superstars in the league on your team, then you goddamn do it every day of the week. And I'm pretty sure every other team would do it as well. Yep. Now, it's not to say that, you know, he may not be traded in the future, but this is all spin to make Deon- to get into DeAndre's good graces to make sure that Kai and KD are happy about it. I, I think ultimately 
if we were to put a, you know, and had a lie detector with Sean Marks, Kevin Ray, and Kyrie Irving, and they're like, okay, we can trade you know, Derek Favors for DeAndre Jordan. Would you do it? I'm pretty sure that all of them would probably say yes. And obviously, you know more about the salaries involved and such. But the Nets will always want to make this team better. And DeAndre Jordan isn't necessarily an asset right now. He's a depleted asset. What he provides this team is chemistry, the friendship with the big three, all those sort of things, even though James Harden probably doesn't have the strongest ties after last season and uh, the amount of toing and froing that he had with him. So, yeah, in all honesty, Nick, I think it's uh, it's all spin. Yeah, I think you're right, Jack. I think that's a smart move, though, too. You know what I mean? It's clever. You try to get him back in the good graces, make him believe he's going to be part of the team, and maybe there's a resurgence. Like, as much as DeAndre has pissed us off, like, there's still part of me that believes that maybe he could be somewhat competent at one point. And not to be, like, disrespectful, like he's fallen off a cliff, because the thing that really confuses us with DeAndre is he'll have spurts where you're like, wow, like, where the hell has this been for the last 27 games? Like, where, where, where are you all of a sudden dominating the paint? Like, he's still a big dude, and maybe... Like for DeAndre, if he just came into camp and lost a lot of weight and got a little bit more agile, maybe that would be the change for him. I'm not really sure. Maybe there's some type of motivation he needs. Maybe it's getting off the vegan diet. I'm not really sure. Um, but uh, that's that's where we're at with DeAndre. It's kind of just a wait-and-see thing. The only thing that I'll say that sucks about it is it just feels like a wasted roster spot if they already know going to next season that he's not going to play. If they end up playing him more than they did last year, even in the regular season, okay, I can live with it because he's at least contributing in some way. Well, right now, Nick, it is at least somewhat of a wasted roster spot because in my eyes, probably your eyes too, he's the fourth best center on the roster. Blake Griffin, Nicholas Claxton, and look, we haven't seen anything with Daron Sharp yet, but you know we're pretty high on him. And James suddenly... Johnson might be a better center. <laughs> oh, come on, man. Look, mate, no, you put out some nice tape, but that's certainly convincing me of it. But yeah, look, I, I, I want, I've always sort of been generally an optimist when it comes to players and wanting the best out of them and and, and them producing their, their best version of themselves for the team and individually and all the rest of it. But, you know, obviously I don't have the, the highest of hopes when it comes to DeAndre, but I always like being proven wrong. I'm wrong plenty and I have no issue with it. And, and so we'll see what happens heading into the season. But ultimately, I don't think it necessarily matters in the grand scheme of things, DeAndre yeah. and his status, because it's about KD status, Kyrie status, and of course, Cam Thomas' status. Um, yeah. We, it, it, but, but <laughs> I like that you slipped that in there. At first, I was like, what? <laughs> I just I said, yeah, and then I realized what you said. <laughs> hey, you got to keep up with the accent sometimes. Sometimes people take a little while to process it all. But uh, Nick, in, in saying that, we will get to the... Uh, $11.45 million trade exception. Some names that have been put out there from, you know, Billy Reinhardt, Christian Winford, all these sort of different people. Larry Nance Jr., Dwight Powell, Derek Favors, Sergio Barker, Tristan Thompson, Kyle Anderson, Maxi Kleber, uh, Jeremy Lamb, Alfred Gaminu, Mason Plumley, Jakob Pertl. And now all of those names, any any and all, all of those names would add, you know, maybe not Tristan Thompson as much, I'm a bit lower on him. But, you know, there's different ties. You know, Carl Anderson apparently has a relationship with Kyrie Irving or he's worked out with some of the guys before. Uh, and, you know, the Larry Nance jet ski is as um, as high and as big of a hive as it is the Mobius jet ski on Loki. Um, but in, in, in saying that, Nick, all, all of these names would add so much value to the Nets, would they not? Yeah, I mean, a lot of them, like, would be excellent fits and fill a need. I mean, obviously, like you said, Larry Nance is our guy. Like, at this point, we should just start a podcast about him. But uh, Kyle Anderson would be a really good fit, too. And 
Someone pointed out to Twitter, I forget who it was, sorry about that, but uh, they mentioned that Kyle Anderson was a guy that a lot of Memphis reporters are bringing up as possibly being someone that they're going to trade just because of some of the other moves they've made. I'm not really sure if that's true. He just seems like he's been a great fit there. They've had some success. Uh, Maxi Kleber would be a guy that I'm not sure Dallas would trade. Like, I'm just not sure why they would do it unless they had somebody else coming in. Tristan Thompson, I think, is a possibility. The Kings have like 6,000 centers. <laughs> Serge Ibaka, uh, I think he's going to stay there. Derek Favors would be a guy that I see, think is really likely. He was a salary dump to OKC. All OKC does is turn salary dumps into picks unless it's Kemba Walker. So I think the Nets could probably land Derek Favors around the deadline for like two seconds. Like, I don't think that's ridiculous. I don't think he's worth a first. And I think Sam Presti's not that crazy. I think that is the most likely one on this yep. list. That and Tristan Thompson. Now, it doesn't solve everything for the Brooklyn Nets. You know, I think that Tristan Thompson provides the greatest skill set because he's such a great rebounder, and then that's where the Nets do have a weakness. Derek Favors provides a sense of steadiness that you probably want. You know, Larry Nance, you know, we've spoken about, and, you know, a lot of the other wings, you know, Jakob Pertl, if the Spurs go in a certain direction, um, obviously you can't hit a free throw to save his life, but yeah. neither can the uh, the guy who won finals MVP, uh, but he's an incredible rim protector and provide, you know, um, in terms of, like, you know, individual drop defense, and, you know, there's just some names out there, Nick, that hopefully, you know, we're speaking about it in a couple of months' time, uh, about them and their additions to this Brooklyn Nets team, because, you know, the the Nets, while they have, you know, some underrated depth given all the, the salary concerns uh, and the money that they have thrown at their big three as well as, you know, Joe Harris, you know, there's still, you know, some gaps and, you know, you're not necessarily being like, okay, this is the Golden State Warriors or the 1996 Bulls. Like, it's not just a, a cakewalk. There's still, you know, some some holes and some improvements that can be made. And also, I'll put it out there, too, is they do not it doesn't have to be like a 10 or 11 million dollar contract. It could be smaller. You know, it could be a player that's five or six million that they really like or thinks fits into their system. So it's just kind of waiting and seeing what's going to be available when teams start trading or realizing like at this point in time, a lot of teams are overly optimistic and they think their team's going to be probably more successful than it's going to be. And then that gets you to a point in the middle of the season where you're like, oh, shit, we're really not good. We need to do something different. And that's where you start getting guys on deals or even the aspect of being you know, the third team in a trade. X team is trading for a superstar. They need to get off this 10 million. It's a solid player, but they don't really care because the superstar they're trading for is taking that spot. That's where the net slide in right there. Maybe they have to throw in a couple picks or whatever it is, but then they can grab that guy that really fits in what they need. And that's been my mindset is just I think Sean Marks really didn't necessarily love what he was going to get back depending if kcp was available or not and then he thinks you know maybe later down the line i'll be able to find a better deal or better value or a better fit yep the, uh, i totally agree with it but you know we'll have to see you know how it all pans out um and, until we can fully i guess surmise and analyze you know the, the return from the trade because it's still you know incomplete in, in some form or another but nick in terms of you know the free agents obviously market is is pretty dry at this point in time but there's still you know, some sneaky value that the Nets can add. I think they have one roster spot, if I'm not mistaken. Obviously, there's two ways with Reggie Perry. And, you know, yep. obviously the first rounders will be signed. But then you've got, you know, Kessler Edwards as well. Um, and, and what the other uh, picks, the, the late picks get added, to how they get added to the roster too. But the guys that are remaining that probably, you know, obviously we spoke with Andre Iguodala, uh, Avery Bradley, JJ Redick, Wes Matthews, Justice Winslow, Paul Millsap, Demarcus Cousins. And we'll get to LaMarcus Aldridge in a little bit. But... Uh, do any of those names fill you with confidence or do, do do any of them stick out at all for you, Nick? 
I think Paul Millsap does just because he's a versatile four or five. I think he's more of a small ball center at this point in his career. Gives you like a little bit of defense. I think in a smaller role, he could kind of excel. Um, obviously, he's never won a championship. So I think there would be some motivation there. And he's just kind of one of those gritty guys. Can get hot from three occasionally. Just seems like the high basketball IQ type guy that you'd want in your team. And I think he'd be willing to kind of adapt to different roles. And obviously... You know, they could use a guy that could play the four, could play the five, just offer more versatility, toughness, and rebounding. Where, like, a lot of the guards, like, yeah, they could double down and add more guards, but it, I feel pretty comfortable with the guards they already have in-house. Definitely. Now, you know, the, the washed nature of Paul Millsap, rinse cycle, whatever you want to yep. call it, as I like to sort of analogize, it's, I don't know where he necessarily is, but in, like you sort of mentioned with... He can't give you that full, like, 60-minute wash, Jack. It's more of, like, that quick wash. So, yeah, you know. That's where he's probably, probably going to chuck him in the dryer afterwards as well. But, you know, in, in saying that, you know, Nick, is he more washed than Andre Godala? Like, that's the thing. Like, if the Nets were to get one or both of these players, who do you think adds more value to the team? You know, I think, oh, man, that's a tough one. I think Iguodala has more of, like, the intangibles as, like, a locker room guy and, like, his basketball IQ is probably higher. Obviously, Paul Millsap, is, I think, is, like, a year or two younger and as a big, you're never going to really lose your size, but you are going to, I feel like it's harder when you're a big guy to continue to move well. So I think Millsap would have a better chance of being like Wash, but I also would say Millsap also probably has a higher ceiling. Like the best version of Paul Millsap at this point in his career is better than the best version of Andre Iguodala because Iguodala doesn't have a three-point shot. You know, Millsap's isn't amazing, but it's something he's been able to do for the last 10 years of his career. Definitely. And I think that, you know, both of them could have their moments in a postseason, which is ultimately what matters. You know, both of them have had Millsap their moments. could probably line up against Giannis. Not to say that he would do well, but he has a body type that could bang a little bit. Or Embiid or, you know, yeah. any of those other guys. But, you know, Iguodala could match up with Jimmy Butler. So, like, yeah. you know, there's, there's differing strengths uh, here and there. I'll make an argument, Nick. I know a lot of people aren't high on him, um, except for probably Danny Ainge five years ago. Uh, Justice Winslow. I just think that having a guy who's actually a wing and has something left in the tank is, you know, and, and is playing for something, a bit of a chip on his shoulder, Bruce Brown-like in terms of that. Uh, I, I don't hate Justice Winslow. Now, offensively, he is questionable, but I think the intangibles, the athleticism, all these little things here and there, I, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that, you know, another team hasn't picked him up in, in some form or another just because... You know, he still hasn't been given the right situation. You know, Memphis was supposed to be that. You know, he's shown he showed glimpses in Miami as well. I'd be if I'm taking a flyer on any of these guys. A part of me is I think you sort of always mentioned ceiling and basement. Yeah, Justice Winslow's basement might be low, but I also don't think it is that low because he's still got something in the tank and can move well. He's an athlete, and Justice Winslow's ceiling is pretty goddamn high. And I think on the Nets. Uh, would be a, a pretty nice fit. Again, um, drinking Kool-Aid or whatever beverage uh, available when it comes to Justice Winslow. But I'm going to do the man justice, Nick, and and, and actually uh, hype him up a little bit. You know, if the Nets didn't have two rookies on the roster, I think I'd be more interested in Winslow. I'm just more concerned of it being a wasted roster spot just because, he, like you said, he's just really, like, struggled getting his rhythm back since he's had those injuries. And his three-point percentage has, like, fallen off a cliff. At one point, it looked like he was going to turn into a competent three-point shooter. And now, like the last, I think the last two seasons, it's really drastically dropped off. But some of that is just not being on the court and not finding your rhythm. So I think a team could strike gold with Winslow. 
I'm not sure if I'm the Nets if I want to take that bet right now. I might want to go with a guy that has a lower ceiling and a you know higher basement, and you know just go with that because I do have Cam Thomas, I do have Daron Sharp, even Nick Claxton's kind of a a young piece at this point. So Winslow, I'm just not very confident in what he can do. If they didn't have two rookies and they didn't draft anybody, I'd probably be more in on Winslow because there's also be more roster spots. I just would probably rather get somebody I can count on. Yeah, it's funny because two seasons in, in two of the seasons in Miami, 27 and 18, 2018, 19, he shot 38% from three, 37.5% from three on two and four attempts, respectively. Yep. That 2018, 19 season is obviously, you know, when he got the payday and such, and he is where he is now. And obviously, the offense fallen off a cliff, like you mentioned, Nick, there. But in like you sort of, I, I think that he's a 25 year old, 26 year old, you know, um, 25 year old, sorry. Um, what he showed in Memphis, you know, the injuries and such, it's sort of like, you know, Otto Porter Jr. There's probably a comparison point that can be made there. I think Otto Porter Jr. has a much better three-point shot. And the fact that Golden State got him for what they did... a little bit more, I think. Definitely, definitely. And obviously, you know, Sean Mark here, Sean Mark's to thank for for some of that as well. But uh, uh, look, if if the Nets were to get one of the guys on these lists, Nick, would it provide you with a sense of, you know, happiness, comfort or whatever... You know, JJ Redick, I think we've, we've heard linked. You know, I, I don't hate it because, you know, you want a, a guy who can shoot a three ball and he has a, 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 a skill of strength. Do you want the, the Nets to continue to add guys? Um, what, you know, is there anyone else that sort of sticks out other than the names that we've discussed? Is if Justice Winslow were to sign with the team, would you be like, man, I don't know, I'm a bit questionable about this? Or would you start, would you sort of borrow some of my beverages? I'd probably start borrowing some of your beverages, watch a ton of film, get myself overly excited. and Like, and with, uh, like with Johnson. Yeah, I mean, um, I think I have more hope in James Johnson. Uh, funny enough, he had his best success in Miami, too. Maybe the Nets can do something to replicate that. Another guy I'd probably look at is just like a competent NBA player that you could fill in the roster, play a little small forward, be James Ennis. Not sexy, nothing crazy. Just a guy that is competent, and he's played in the postseason before. He's had okay moments. He shot 43% from three last season for the Magic. Not sure if he's going to replicate that. He's 36% shooter on his career, but never really a high volume. It's kind of been a little bit gritty defensively. Again, just kind of like a average NBA player. But sometimes when he's like your third, you know, your third string or fourth string, that's okay. Yeah, I like James Ennis as well, Nick. And- Look, Lionel Messi is no longer with Barcelona, <laughs> so who knows? The Nets are man. I don't even know anything about soccer, and I saw that, and I was just like, "What is going on right now?" The amount of photoshops and you know, Messi in a Lakers jersey and all this—it was uh, a lot of fun. But we'll have to wait and see. The the goat of football slash soccer um, could join the Brooklyn Nets on a on a vet minimum. No, he's going to get like eighty four million dollars from PSG or something. But in yep. terms of that, Nick, we should get to some international basketball well, Jack, play. Is anybody for you that you that I we didn't mention that you like? Not really. I think that those names that were discussed, um, you know, I think Avery Bradley provides a, you know, I thought what well, what he did in the, for the Lakers, you know, I thought he provided a little bit here and there. Um, I just think that right now you just want to add something to the team, um, yep. and the Nets are, are in a position, you know, that they could have guys that are ring chasing and the like, but. You know, at the same time, I'll, I'll I'll wait and see how it all pans out. And, you know, I think that my my idea could change if we go, oh, man, Kessler Edwards, he's like the Summer League MVP. We don't need Justice yep. Winslow. We don't need any of these other sort of dudes, Jay Menace. But I do like James Ennis as well. I think his three-point shooting would provide a lot of value. I think he'd be a better defender in Brooklyn too. So, yeah, there's, there's names still available, um, and the Nets could still add them. Um, and they're in a decent enough position given, you know, their status as a championship contender. But... 
um, ultimately, uh, that Kevin Durant could win gold and he could win the championship next season, which is uh, you know, not, not the same thing I can say about Patty Mills, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, you know, Australia still had a great run, Jack, and I know it's disappointing to see them lose. But, I mean, going to the game, you did have a lot of confidence. Kevin Durant was on the other team, though, so it's hard to bet against that guy the way he's been playing lately. Obviously, I think USA is starting to find the rhythm. I wasn't lucky enough to watch this game because of what time it started at, but I was able to see some of the highlights the next day. I was able to see some of the Patty Mills stuff, too. But uh, KD, I still am a little nervous about him logging all these minutes and being dependent on because, like, so many, like, no disrespect to the Team USA guys. And like I said, I haven't watched really closely, but it feels like a lot of the guys are not stepping up. It's really been, like, Kevin Durant being the guy. Like, Dame, where you at, bro? Like, you're supposed to be this guy, and you're you're not even closing the game. But... Um, good for KD adds to his resume, adds to his legacy. And that's what I love to see. And hopefully he comes away with gold because I was already sick of hearing fans talking shit about Kevin Durant after losing one game in the Olympics. Like he's the only player in the team and he's the reason they win or lose every single time. Yeah. Look, the, uh, the future was the, the, the game was looking incredibly bright in that first half, Nick, you know, 15 point lead. Kevin Durant was the only one hitting shots. And then after halftime, you know, the boomers forgot how to play defense. Drew Holiday was a goddamn menace on Patty Mills, but you know, he still yep. hit some big shots here and there. Um, so it was a, it was a, like a 51 to 28 run or something like that, right? It was a very, very big run. Let's put it that way. I, uh, I don't necessarily want to relive a lot of it, but Kevin Ray was incredible <laughs> as well. You know, he yep. kept he, he in it in some form of fact, like 10 and 19. You know, had I thought the defense, Nick. You know, I think that that's one area that, you know, we discuss quite a bit. And he obviously gets, you know, all the plaudits for being maybe the best shot maker ever. But God damn, you know, his his defensive play, his blocking, his hops. You know, some of the, the, the calls that the um, Team USA got, I'm just like, man, why are Team USA being favored by the rest when they've got about 45 million better players than we do? But there were some calls that also went against KD that were clean blocks on like, you know, Dante Exum and... You know, I will say that, you know, just because Dante Exum got a bit hyped in the first half doesn't mean that, you know, we can have all these USA fans, members, citizens going like, oh, what's Dante Exum getting excited about? My guys, you've got like, I, I, USA arrogance sometimes for me, Nick. You know, I, I love you. I love well, the... I think in Team USA basketball, that's like where they have a little arrogance just because, you know, the talent gap is there in terms of that. But the, I think a lot of people don't understand the world is catching up. Like, look at all the international players that are extremely good in the NBA. Like, Giannis is not a U.S.-born player, and he's amazing. He's arguably, you know, top three NBA player. You look at Jokic and other guys. So, like, and obviously Australia didn't even have – Ben Simmons, who knows where he's at. I don't think anybody can reach him at this point. Let's not bring up uh, he, hell, <laughs> he who shall not be named. It's almost like Lord Voldemort. I'm going to refer to BS as from now on. But yeah, look, it's uh, set up a, a, a hyped up matchup between two Nets greats, K, KD and Timmy Taylor, Wild Cabrero and TLC. And one of them's giving guarantees. And it's Timmy's not talk, the all-time great. <laughs> no, TLC's talking trash saying, you know, I mean, France did beat them in the, the first game, Nick, so you guys better watch out. I'll be going, look, a part of me was like, if Slovenia win, I'm going for Luca and Slovenia. Um, but now, obviously, we'll be taking on them for the bronze medal. Uh, you guys taking on France. I'm, I'm definitely going for, uh, I, I'm not a big fan of Rudy Gobert. Obviously, TLC has uh, broken our heart many a time. So uh, I'm on the team. I'm back on the Team USA bandwagon. And even more so after those glorious hugs from Greg Popovich and Kevin Durant. Um, it's the, I wish someone had like a, a, a better 
an image version which would be a bit of phone wallpaper because when I try to yeah. save it as my phone wallpaper, KD's arms are too long and Patty's a little bit too short. But um, it's it's it was just it felt it warm warmed my heart a little bit after the game when I was certainly a little bit despondent and then seeing KD in that photo, a lot of people tagging me and, and showing me and Pop doing the same thing. Um, Man, I love Kevin Durant so goddamn much. And the fact that he was also really complimentary after the game, he yep. said this to the media uh, in terms of playing with Paddy Mills next season. He said, I can't wait. The way he plays, the way he continues to play at his age, we felt like we got a huge piece in our team next year. Can't wait to build with him as a friend off the court, but also on the court. Like, I'm getting goosebumps, Nick. I, I, I can't wait to, like, his... Uh, Greg Popovich has spoken glowingly. I may have a... I may be getting back into the writing game about Paddy Mills sooner rather than later. So check out... Um, that soon, but yeah, Paddy Mills, the human being, is even better than Paddy Mills, the basketballer, and then the fact that Kevin Durant's already acknowledging that, and I'm sure Pop's like, man, you guys are goddamn lucky. You're so one of my favorite ever players uh, that I've coached before. I can't wait to see them doing their thing on the court, off the court, hanging out. Um, it's going to be fun, fun times, Nick. Two of my favorite players to ever suit up, you know, in the NBA, let alone on the international stage. Can't come fast enough. Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited for Patty Mills, and it's nice to see that Kevin Durant is too. Obviously, I'm sure he had some mention to Sean Marks about guys that he wanted to play with or target. Seems like Patty Mills was on that list, and like you said, seeing like that after the game, it was just cool. Like, it's just another element to make you more excited about Patty Mills joining the Brooklyn Nets and what he can provide. And then also, like, listening to some different podcasts, listening to some very smart NBA people. It just seems like the fit is going to be amazing. I know that you and I have been super high in it. We're high in a lot of different Nets things. You're usually pretty optimistic. But just on paper and everything and what Patty Mills can do, it's just like another element to this team that they don't even need. And I think it's a little underrated in terms of what he's going to be able to provide and just having that extra type of pop. Like we talked about a lot last season on how like, yo, we have three guys in this team that could drop 50 any, every night, any night. And now you add a guy like Patty Mills, he can't drop 50, but he can drop an easy 20. You know what I mean? And that's him and Joe Harris. You just have these other elite shooters or guys that can just kind of catch fire. Now it's just like, how do I stop this team? Yeah, I, I had a lot of fun, you know, doing research for the piece, watching a lot of tape. You know, the pace that Patty Mills has to create separation, an incredibly tight handle, um, you know, his three-point Everything shooting. Everything the Nets wanted from Landry Shamit and more. Yeah, and exactly. And that's who he's going to be replacing in the rotation, essentially. And and the fact that also, you know, he can run pick and roll a little bit. I, he is, a, despite yep. the numbers, he is a good passer. He's a really smart basketball. He makes the right decisions. You know, he can shoot and shoot from three in so many ways, maybe even more than Joe Harris. You know, his yep. ability to just move with such pace and speed, you know, he can also hit shots a little bit not just a little bit better, but a lot better off the pull-up, off screens. Um, it's the Check out my article when it does uh, eventually drop because there's some nice little tape there. And as I alluded to, you know, what he does off the court, um, he is a, a first-class human being of the highest order, uh, Mr. Patrick Sammy Mills. Uh, he's a goddamn legend and can't wait to have him. And I also can't wait to have maybe a former Brooklyn Net Nick. Yes, LaMarcus Aldridge, possible return to the NBA after retirement. Obviously, we know about the heart issue, and he had to instantly kind of worry about his health and get off the court, but it seems like he's interested in coming back. Obviously, the most important thing for him would be medical clearance and making sure he's healthy and safe to be out there because I would never want to see anybody in the NBA or any sport go on the court and then, you know, have an incident related to health. So if he's good to go and he can come back and everything's okay, I would absolutely love him with the Nets. How are you feeling about it, Jack? Oh, same, Nick. He'd be, he'd be amazing. We already saw 
the many, 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 many glimpses of him as a Brooklyn man. And man, you know, he was playing defense like I never thought Mark, LaMarcus Aldridge could play. The post game was incredible. KD was loving him. You know, he spoke nothing but glowingly in his retirement or his supposed retirement post, um, which was shocking. But ultimately, like you said, Nick, health is number one. And if he can come back, then that would be an amazing story. But even if he can't, LaMarcus Aldridge isn't going to be lost to basketball. You know, he's spoken about coaching. You know, he's going to be involved in the game some form or fashion. But if the Nets do add him, you know, we sort of spoke about Iguodala and all these sort of other names. You know, LaMarcus Aldridge could provide the most value out of any names that we've discussed on this episode. And also, he would allow them to play a different style because of his floor spacing, his ability to shoot threes, where the Nets could actually play two bigs. Not to say it would be the most ideal thing in the world, but you could play lineups with uh, LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin. Not ideal. LaMarcus Aldridge and Nick Claxton makes more sense to me because now you have the versatility of Claxton. You can be a perimeter defender, but offensively can only really be around the rim, where LaMarcus can step out, knock down the three, play him with James Johnson, play with Kevin Durant, whatever it is. He gives you a true center. And I know this is maybe irrational, but I honestly think maybe if LaMarcus Aldridge was on that Nets team against the Bucks when all the injuries happened, that they could squeeze it out because he's that good of a player. Like, he's still a very, very skilled basketball player. Yeah, his athleticism isn't what it once was. He doesn't move the same way, but he still understands how to play and how to use his size. And he also provides the Nets a real drop coverage big, what they want DeAndre to be, but also giving them substantially more offensively because not only does he have the jump shot, but he has a better touch around the rim. You know what I mean? He's just a guy that is skilled at basketball, and I think that's an underrated aspect of a lot of these older players. Yeah, he's super fluid. Super fluid, yep. just knows how to do the right thing, hits the right shots, um, and he, he fit in seamlessly. He provided some some really great moments, some, some good games for the Brooklyn Nets, and you know we know that final matchup against Andre Drummond was there were some bigger things going on in his head. Um, yep. And obviously, with again, if he doesn't come back, there is nothing against It's not a bad thing. I couldn't care less. If he lives a long and healthy life, that's what I care about. But, you know, if the, yeah, if the, the door is open, then Sean Marks, I'm sure, will open it plenty uh, for a guy of LaMarcus Aldridge's character and productivity that he did give to this team. So we shall wait and see. But, Nick, uh, we spoke about, you know, Kyrie Irving and the, the shoe drama that was sort of happening. And we're like, oh, what's going on here? Is this related to the agency? You know, why is he so uh, up in arms? But, he came out and you know he uh, was pretty self-reflective and said it was unfair to, to blame Nike, to blame the brand, I guess, for the Kyrie 8 sneaker. Yeah, I feel pretty good about my take on the show because I, I didn't fully support Kyrie. I just said it like contractually, whatever goes is what has to happen because that's the contract he signed. So I think Kyrie kind of understood that a little bit more. I think, as we know, Kyrie can be emotional, which every human being can be. And I feel like he was just upset at that exact time. And then, like you said, he reflected on a little bit and understood that like, hey, things aren't necessarily going my way, but I think that there's still enough here. We can kind of fix the situation. And like you said, I think that's ideal for Kyrie. That's ideal for Nike because that's how they're going to make the most money. Exactly. He said this, when you're building something great, there sometimes comes a point when you need to recalibrate calibrate, sorry, and refocus to ensure everyone involved is aligned. This is where the Kai 11 brand and Nike are. It was unfair to put the blame on Nike or any one person. He was also dropping, you know, fire tweets as well in there. Kai's back on Twitter. You know, he's been obviously doing plenty on Instagram um, and he spoke on Twitter. And maybe this is related, maybe it isn't, but he said, life is more interesting when you learn and do things in your own way. I learned how to move on from mistakes and bad decisions. It took a lot of time and healing for sure, but it helped me awaken to my own truths. I stand on comfortably. Humbly speaking, my ancestors got me. Now, 
this is uh, it's always just cool to see Kyrie having put out some wisdom into the world because he seems to always have a, a positive mindset. It'd be a, a good mentor to have, a good life coach, and you know, there's a, a positive relation, positive things in relation to Kyrie Irving. Yeah, I agree, Jack. I mean, I think it just kind of this is who he is. You know what I mean? Like, they just they, what he just said on Twitter kind of really describes him in a great way in terms of just like, hey, he's doing things in his own way, and that's perfectly fine. And it, it might not be the same exact way that you wanted, but he's Kyrie Irving. He's going to be his own person, and I think. You know, everyone should be able to respect that. Absolutely. Absolutely. But they <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> well said. Well said. Nice little tidbit. Uh, Nick, the 2018-19 Brooklyn Nets. Let me, this was popping around thanks to uh, Ronnie CPA on Twitter. These are the contracts that our guys got. D'Angelo Russell, $117 million. Spencer Dinwiddie, $60 million. Carol Severt, $52.5 million. Joe Harris, $75 million. And the Fro himself, $100 million. It's a lot of goddamn money, Nick. What do you think this says about the Nets organization? They get their guys paid. I mean, if you go to Brooklyn, they're going to help you get the best version of yourself. I mean, and I don't mean this as like a slight. D'Angelo Russell looked really good in Brooklyn. He looked like an all-star player. Since he's left, he has not looked yeah, he he was an all-star player. He hasn't looked like that guy since. Has that something to do with Brooklyn and the culture and the coaching staff? It really could. Could it be the bad luck that Delos had in other places? It could be that too or a combination of both. But for me, it says like, hey, the Nets are going to help you reach a different level. Because, you know, we could talk about Delo, We can talk about Karras. We could talk about Jared Allen. All first-round picks. Getting this contract is not the craziest thing you ever heard. If you're drafting the first round, chances of becoming an all-star – not super unlikely, not but likely. Where, but where in the first round is, is intriguing, Nick, because, you know, in the 20s, you know, they're not yeah. top five, they're not lottery picks. You know, D'Angelo Russell, I think, like you mentioned, makes sense, but, you know, Spencer Dimwitty certainly doesn't because he was... Well, that's a- what I was going to say. Joe yeah. Harris and Spencer Dimwitty, those guys, they were, you know, guys that were almost not going to be in the NBA. They were end-of-roster guys. They had to earn their spots. They were cut by bad teams. The Nets took them in help them get the best version of themselves. A lot of credit to them, but also what the net system had. And I think that says a lot to players. Like, hey, you know, Brooklyn's going to try to get the best out of you. Obviously, the culture's changing, the coach is changing, whatever it is. But I think that's like the idea that Sean Marks has. And you could say it too about Karis Avert, who had the broken foot. No one wanted to really take a chance on him and his injury history. Nets kind of helped push him and believed in him and allowed him to excel. And Jared Allen, you could say something similar because people believed he really didn't care about basketball. Nets got him, obviously cares about basketball, just signed a $100 million contract. Shout out to him. So I think the Nets are going to allow you to kind of unlock yourself in a way. Maybe some of that's Kenny Atkinson. Maybe some of that's just Sean Marks and the Brooklyn culture. I think a lot of it is. You know, Kenny Atkinson certainly does deserve a lot of credit. Delo might not think so, but I'm sure <laughs> some of the other guys on this roster do. Um, you know, the way that he coached this team and the, the relationship he had with Sean Marks in his tenure, Kenny deserves plenty of credit. You know, he, he provided it with, like, you know, not just these guys, but the vets too. Jared Dudley, Damari Carroll, Ed Davis. All these guys were not maybe the best versions of themselves, but a pretty goddamn good version of it. And I think yep. that's the culture that Sean Marks, the organization, has built in Brooklyn. It is, we are going to get the best out of you. We are going to cater to your needs. We are a player-centric organization. Now, a lot of people might be like, well, no one's, no one player is bigger than the organization. Whereas I'm like, the players are the organization. Now, yep. whether they're superstars, whether they're rookies or whatever, you, you need to cater the culture, to cater the style, to cater everything to this 
to these guys, you know, whether it's like this family environment, Brooklyn Nets, family on three, all these different sort of things. Yep. And, and just being like, okay, what do we hold dear to ourselves? And it seems to me that a key tenant of Brooklyn, of the Brooklyn Nets organization, and what is going to be sustainable for them going forward, even beyond Kevin Durant, Kyrie yep. Irving, and James Harden, is that whatever player is in our organization, we are going to give them the best care, the best coaching, the best facilities, everything, so they can be the best version of themselves. And, I mean, if I was a, a basketball player, I'd kill the player for the Brooklyn Nets. It seems like a, a pretty goddamn awesome organization. We're seeing, you know, Damon Sharp smiling, um, ear to ear, um, all, all these sort of things. It's a, uh, it's a pretty goddamn good organization, and you know, we might be a little biased, but you know, I'm sure other players think that as well. Yeah, I mean, they treat their players right. It seems like what they try to do is try to make it do everything else for the player so they just have to worry about basketball. Like, they'll help take care of you with your diet, your sleep pattern, your health, or whatever it is. They'll take care of your family at the game, make sure they get there. Make sure houses, Nick? You might buy your girlfriend a house or an apartment. Who really knows? Significant other. Whatever is going on for you, seems like the Nets are ready to help you whenever you need. I mean, if they commit a crime, maybe the Nets will help clean it up. I'm not really sure at this so point. We're going back into this, Nick. Let's do that for another day. No, really. I mean, who knows with the Nets? They've done a lot for their players, and that's where why they've ascended from being a joke of the NBA to arguably one of the best franchises in the league. I think the only thing they need to solidify their spot in the NBA is winning a championship. If they do that this upcoming season, it's going to be hard to not call them one of the best organizations currently in the league. Provides immediate credibility is is yep. winning, and the Nets have done winning, and you know the players provide that, the coaching provides that, and the roster construction, the uh, and the ability to pay that with Joe Sy. So there's a lot of good things happening in Brooklyn right now, and a lot of good things that have happened, you know, since Sean Marks, Kenny Atkinson, they came here, and all the players speak glowingly. You know, Karis Avert, you know, I, I remember, I think it was on the JJ Reddy podcast where they were trying to like JJ was trying to get something out of him, like, what did you really think getting traded? And he's just like. Nothing bad to say, my dude. Like, I love Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, and, you know, D'Lo's obviously, you know, had these little things here and there. And, you know, former Brooklyn, that great Kenneth Freed isn't necessarily... <laughs> and now Portland Trailblazer, Nick, will actually might have to do a, a bit of a deep dive on, on Kenneth Freed as, a, as a, a Portland Trailblazer in the Summer League preview that we do in the coming episodes. But, yeah, it just shows you that this organization uh, has the right fundamentals, has the right core tenants, has the right morals, values. Um, and I'm... Confident, like I sort of said, that it's not just going to be success, you know, on the court in terms of championships. Success can be defined in many ways. And I consider the Brooklyn Nets, even without a championship, a pretty successful organization. Yeah, I think that's the reason Patty Mills chose them over the Lakers. You know, uh, Sean Marks' connection and different things they do. And he knows it's relatable to what he had in San Antonio. And obviously, you know, there's probably different connections that led to that as well. But I think that's something that a lot of free agents probably considered and hopefully consider. And hopefully Andre Godala is the next one. Yeah, absolutely. Or Justice Winslow, Nick. Nah. Um, <laughs> well, one thing we'll be touching on in, in deep diving is the summer league because, you know, we're now big guys on the, on the draft and the young kids, you know, obviously Jonathan Kaminga and, and, and Moses Moody doing big things at Golden State, but they're going to do nothing compared to what Cam Thomas and Daron Sharp, that uh, the men in black uh, duo that we're going to, that we're going to see in, in Vegas anytime, anytime now. And we'll dive deep onto 
uh, them, the roster, all the different things. You know, there's, you know, Brandon Knight's now a Brooklyn for some yeah. reason, which is kind of cool. They're uh, trying to get that Summer League championship, Jack. That's what that tells me. Yeah, Nets and six. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it all pans out, but we'll dive deep into the roster construction and what we can expect, the games. And we might even do game recaps like we do with the regular season because um, you know, the, I'm, I'm excited for this for this summer league more than any other, even if Clax ain't playing. And that's something we'll discuss going forward as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like you said, Jack, I think there's a lot of excitement with young energy and young picks and prospects and what they can kind of become. And that provides a different level of excitement. And like you said, we're going to dive deep into that because we are now draft guys after, you know, two weeks of research. But Jack, always a pleasure. Big thanks to everybody listening. Check the buzz on all stream platforms.